Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today, for the first time ever, we have a really special treat because not only are we speaking to an author, but this author that we're speaking to is also a pilot. How cool is that? So everyone, please, let's welcome Sid Bloom to the podcast. Sid, welcome! Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful. I'm very excited. And okay, so let's start. So pilot and author what came first or the idea for what came first where do we start with all this i guess my first dream was writing i started my first book when i was nine years old in the back of an airplane so my parents they were in a hurry so they would fly to grandma's house but they had a little single engine airplane with four seats and they had more children than seats so they stuck me in the baggage compartment and there was <laughs> nothing to do back there so i would write stories there's no windows or anything and we weren't allowed to take luggage because of weight and balance so basically we had our toothbrush and so i had my little piece of paper my pencil and I started my first book then and then it took me many years to work my way up to the yoke because all three of my brothers had to become pilots first (laughs) and then I had my first flight lesson on my 14th birthday that was my gift and just so amazing to be up in the sky but I was already focused on being a writer and I went through high school with this dream and so I had this great teacher who allowed me to become a teacher's assistant but instead of helping her she had me go to the computer lab and just spend all period writing so there were many people who encouraged this along the way and then at some point I graduated from Cal State Fullerton as an English major and set out to find an editorial job but it wasn't until I actually moved to the Bay Area that I got (laughs) into publishing because you have to go where there's a publishing hub and it took me a while to figure that out but then I got into the tech editing and edited for several years and InfoWorld, MacWorld, PC World, that family of publishers and that was awesome. So I've always kind of had the back and forth between writing and flying and then at one point I transitioned to video editing which was a natural transition from editing words to editing a visual medium and started producing things and brought that into my set of skills. But then I realized that self-esteem is a skill that helps you succeed in your career. And I was lacking that. And I heard that becoming a pilot gives you confidence. And so I set out to get my pilot's license and all my licenses to become a commercial pilot. And at that time, you know, I got up into the air and and the beautiful sky and just fell in love (laughs) with the view. And I set off onto this path to become a commercial pilot. And after I conquered that, I started flying a lot. I had an aerial surveillance company. And as I was flying from California to Texas, the stories started really going off into my head. And I had to write them down. And the sky just kind of inspired stories. So I went back to writing. And I wrote a couple of books that are read in middle schools now. And they all include flying. Wow. So, okay, so one second, one second, one second. It was your mom or your dad was the pilot? My dad. He flew for 50 years safely. He started off in the Air Force and worked his way up and out of a flying job in the Air Force. You kind of, if you're lucky enough to get into the flight program, it doesn't last forever. And then you have to get out of the military if you want to continue flying, ironically. But, you know, we used to have a great pipeline of creating pilots for the airlines through the military that went away when we started with unmanned flights. So... Uh 
like drones. And so that that doesn't feed the airlines anymore, as well as we don't really fight wars in the sky anymore. That's a thing of the past. So we just don't have the same kind of way to, to train pilots as we used to. And there's often a pilot shortage. I mean, it's, it's a very volatile industry. So for example, the pandemic happened and then thousands of pilots got furloughed. And it's like, oh, you know, that's a nice way right. of saying you don't have a job anymore. Right. <laughs> and then the pilots will get another, they'll, you know, they'll have to work and they'll get something else. And by the time it's over a couple of years later, they've already moved on. And so now you, you've got to find pilots some other way. And it's uh, time consuming and expensive to become a pilot. So that explains the pilot shortage in a nutshell. That's so interesting. So sometimes when the airlines are like, we are starting a new academy because we're going to blah, blah, blah. And they tack on some whatever to it. It's really their way of saying, oh my goodness, we need to find pilots. So if we make this big announcement of a great program, everyone's going to come to us instead of just saying like, hi, we need pilots. Yes. Well, a lot of people will complain about how expensive it is to become a pilot. Some places it's over $100,000. So you're really going into debt for beginning pilot jobs. You're still learning on the job. You need that experience of flight hours. So they start off really low paying. Like if you add up all the hours, it's, it's often below minimum wage. And I've heard of pilots who are beginning who are on food stamps, you know, so you don't wow. make a good living at the beginning. But you, if you stick with it, I know pilots who have been flying for 20, 30 years that are making 200, 300,000. So, well, 250,000. Well, so it's kind so of like you a, stick with it. Right. Like if you're a doctor long enough, maybe you could pay off your debt. So if you're a pilot long enough, you know, you make yes. a, you'll actually earn money. Well, I just did a, a STEM talk for the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And one of the things I brought up about the research of what kids, when I speak at schools or air shows or they write to me through my YouTube channel, a lot of the kids bring up the same things over and over. And one thing you hear a lot from kids now is it doesn't pay to go to college. And that's right. so not true. That's so not true. It depends. If you were an English major like me, it doesn't necessarily pay. Right, right. (laughs) But then when I switched to STEM, there's so many opportunities and it's growing so much in some of the STEM fields. It's over 20% projected for the next couple of years. They really need more people going into STEM fields. And there's been a push for years to, we're even including science in English class because we need to peak interest in science even when you're trying to teach literacy your main focus is in english class is literacy but how can we sneak in science and that's um, my second book circle brings up some bioengineering and astronomy so i'm just trying very gently to peak interest in the science fields because i'm interested in that i'm fascinated by it i didn't study at all science growing up so when i find out that scientists blended spinach genes into pigs to try to make ham healthier to eat. That's just fascinating. (laughs) That's what we're doing now. Who even was looking at a pig and was like, you know what, he needs spinach. Yeah. (laughs) So are your brothers, are they also licensed pilots? Yes. So was it kind of expected in the family that everyone was going to learn to fly at some point? No, because I'm a girl and I grew up kind of in a sexist family. So the only thing that would... Trump that I was supposed to stay in the kitchen is my dad's love for flying. So he loved it so much that he was willing to teach a girl. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, it's 
you know, I wasn't in the house, but sometimes it's it's just traditional, so no one thinks, oh, I wouldn't think you'd have it. It's, it's not even intended sometimes. It's just like, oh, I didn't think of it. Then you said you were still flying, but before you got your commercial pilot license, how were you able to fly until then? Or like, what, what occurs if you don't have the commercial license? What do you have to be able to fly? There's a whole world of private pilots. Right. So the first license is, is called a private pilot's license. And that gives you the right if you pass all the tests and you uh, stay current and you pass medical, all this stuff, then you have the right to fly yourself around. You can fly your friends. As long as you're current and practiced at your skills and knowledge, then you have the license to fly all around America. And the neat thing is that we have over 5,000 airports that are for general aviation for this type of pilot at every town and it's all over you can land anywhere practically in america which is wonderful but there's only like 500 commercial airports so big difference so like in other countries i have a, I have a, a friend who used to fly for me he is also an acrobatic pilot and he did air shows in china and the air in china is not free you can't just fly around there so he had to dismantle his airplane to take his airplane from air show to air show. Oh, wow. <laughs> Drive it around. <laughs> that is a fun fact. But <laughs> I collect stories from other pilots. I'm just fascinated by all these things that have happened to them in the air, or various stories. So I put a lot of that into my book, Fly Girl. There's some flying also in circle, but I think it's fun to just hear about this different world. And you have a different world up there, just not just the sky and how different it looks with clouds or features or the horizon seems to go on forever, but looking down at the world and just seeing people running around like little ants and seeing from that bird's eye view. It's amazing. How often do you have to renew your pilot's license? The requirement for a private pilot is to have a biannual flight review. So every two years, you need to go with an instructor or examiner and have them sign off that you still have your skills. That's the minimum. You know, you should do more than that, but that's the minimum. Oh, you could voluntarily go more frequently? Oh, yeah. And then go with an instructor anytime you feel rusty or unsure about something. Uh, I know up here in the mountains, um, people get surprised by the winds or wind shear. It kind of can freak them out. And then, you know, if they go with an instructor after something like that scares them, they can work through it and improve their skills. You're always improving your skills. When you're a passenger on a plane, is that a weird experience for you? Or you're like, why am I in the wrong part of the plane right now? Or it's different yeah. for you? Uh. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking about just like what they're doing and what's going on. And But, you know, flying on an airline is the safest form of transportation. We have many years where there's no fatalities at all. And that's the safest form of transportation. So you can feel very, very safe in the sky on an airliner because of the standard of training that our pilots in America go through. Hooray! Yay for us! I'm sure we could do a whole podcast just on this, but to switch over to the actual book aspect of it, your book, Fly Girl, this is your debut, even though yeah, you do have the other book, but what's it about? How the idea all mesh together? This is going to be the one I'll publish. How did all that happen? It's about a 16-year-old who, who learns to fly an airplane the hard way and in the process becomes captain of her life. So it's a very positive, happy ending because she goes through all sorts of trouble on her journey to becoming a pilot and makes it worse on herself by making mistakes and then makes it to her solo at the end where it kind of a metaphor built into that. And then when I was speaking at, at schools, kids would tell me that they didn't understand that you could overcome obstacles. So they kind of 
of like the idea that she has all these problems and she makes it worse on herself and makes all these mistakes, but still she gets to her goal at the end. So just kind of an inspirational idea. I just got to ask quickly. You say she learns how to fly the hard way. Is there an easy way to learn how to fly or is that also metaphorical that we got there? Well, yeah, you have to read it to find out what the hard way is, but... Okay, okay. I would not imagine flying an airplane being like, oh, you know, ride a bike. You can't fall off and get back on again. It's not the same right. thing. You can't pull over to the side of the road if you decide that you're you're not liking it. You don't want to do this anymore. If you're alone, no one's going to climb into the cockpit and rescue you. You have to get yourself back on the ground. So that's the you know scary part that's kind of a fun challenge because you're relying on yourself 100% and it's all up to you. So you just have to dig down deep and fix whatever problem you have, whatever mental challenge you're having at the moment. Like one time I was a student pilot and flying through a very turbulent pass and so picture a bunking bronco on steroids i was bouncing up oh, and down yeah, like a ping oh. pong ball in the sky oh, wow. and i used the story in fly girl so i was just being thrown around like crazy and i came back and i had a bruise on my hip from the seatbelt, it was that violent wow. so you have to get through it you can't be like okay i'm done i don't want to do this anymore it's like no you just you right. have to deal with it right <laughs> i made it alive yeah that'll <laughs> thank god for that yeah oh my goodness what you did finally write it what was your next step then for publication what did you do next i had my own business so i was thinking entrepreneur is the way to go okay because you can can control it and I'd already been talking to producers and one producer said well this is great but can we change the main character to a boy and I'm like uh what part of fly girl do you not yeah. understand did, yeah did you read the story exactly it's just like well why do you think the main character ha always has to be a boy it's like no she's a girl and she flies an airplane <laughs> that's right. the whole point of it so I don't know I was just thinking entrepreneurial and so I, I did publish it myself and then I kind of learned about the industry of how much you have to market just to get the word out that it even exists that kind of went into that not knowing that and I heard that since then you have to spend a minimum of 70 grand to even get it out there announcing it and so people know it's there so you know I didn't do any of that I just had it when I was like speaking at air shows or whatever my YouTube channel also I interview pilots and kids ask me questions and that's another reason why I wanted to do it is because kids would say oh I want to fly so bad tell me how and it's like well here read this was that specifically why you wrote a book for kids versus did it pop into your head that you was 16 years old or the story kind of came and you're like, okay what's the oldest youngest age that I could trust someone to go up in the air what was that decision it's because there was so much interest from kids. Like, they're really fascinated by aviation. And you can fly as young as you want with an instructor. And then oh. at 16, you're allowed to fly solo. And then at 17, you're allowed to get a license. And I knew some teens who were learning to fly and got their pilot's license before their driver's license. Wow. Kind of became celebrities at high school because of what they were doing and accomplishing. And that's really cool. And then after I... Here's a spoiler, but that's okay. After I published it, I met a lot of people who went to prom in an airplane just like Fly Girl does. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that was cool. Like, yeah, you know, but how can you one-up a limo? Right. You know how everybody rents a limo? You pack 15 people in there and like, okay, what's next? Well, how about going to prom in a plane? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's very few people. Are, you have a few, but very few. Yeah. Yeah.
And you know, why should it be any different? You're thinking about why would a 16-year-old be allowed to go up in the sky on a plane, but you put a 16-year-old in a car, and unfortunately, car accidents are they're terrible. So yeah. what's the difference? Just because they're in the air, it makes it... They're either a responsible person behind the controls, I guess you could say, or I guess they're not. Well, Harrison Ford was the chairman of the Young Eagles, which gives out free rides in airplanes to kids. Pilots volunteer their their time and their gas to take kids up in their airplanes just to share the love of flying with them. And Harrison Ford once said something to the effect that flying is a great way to teach kids responsibility in a fun way. And it's true. It's just there's a level of responsibility, but it's also so much fun to become a master of the wind and the airplane. And once you get your hands on the controls, it's so much fun. You don't want to let go. So there's all sorts of organizations that want to show kids aviation because it is a great way if they get into any kind of aviation field to have a future to be able to make a living so it's wonderful only after they pay off their original debt yeah (laughs) well if they want to become a pilot yeah but again if you stick with it it's gonna earn out right which is pretty cool yes yes but you did publish it yourself. Did you find a company that kind of had all the people there? Or did you have to put together the team? Like an editor, a cover designer? What was that process like for you? Yeah, I put together a team, absolutely. I think if you're going to treat it like a business, then you should have the normal people that you would have in the publishing of a book. So, you know, artists for the cover, professional editors reading through it. And you're asking people to give their time and money to read your story, then they're investing their time and money why aren't you investing your time and money in right. an editor or a professional editor and just making it as as clean as possible so I, I did several editors and after that I just kind of relied on my platform to get it out there and instead of doing advertising and I think if I had to do it over again I would do advertising as well I've heard authors go back and forth with the advertising because so, oh, this works so well for me. And so I'm like, I didn't really see anything on it. I guess you have to look at what the ads look like, this, that, whatever. But so Circle, was that the same process kind of? You went back to your team to put the book out, your second book? Yeah, and they came out within like two months of each other. Oh, so. wow. And I was still flying at that time. So it was just like a crazy schedule because I was accepting whatever promotional articles or whatever at the time so it was crazy busy and then as I was speaking more at schools and um, converting the manuscripts to scripts it was just taking so much time that I had to make a choice it's like Sophie's choice (laughs) between writing and flying and I chose writing and so I've been writing since and working on the um, film versions well, are that were you always a big reader that you decided, oh, it'd be so cool to write a book? Or, or was it just <laughs> the cargo area that inspired it? Yes, it was. And just living in my imagination so much back there. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> that definitely was the inspiration. And then adapting it to film, that you're talking about that you, that you want to adapt it to script or write screenplays of it. Is this something that you just, again, that you're independently deciding to do because you think it would look great on screen, you'd love to see it on screen, So you're kind of initiating all this and you got to spearhead it to make it happen sort of thing? Yes, I think it has great visual elements, especially Fly Girl's not all about her learning to fly, but there are some beautiful elements where she's flying above the valley with the lake below and great visuals. So I think it lends itself to that. And then I found interest from producers. So I've been working with, there's a producer on Fly Girl and a producer on Circle. They have it out to really awesome directors right now, so I'm waiting to hear. But it's a 
a long process if you're in a niche or something like this because studios are only making Spider-Man for the 14th time. Marvel properties. And so you're, you're really going the independent route again with a niche story that you have to find someone who believes in it and can champion it and find the money to make it or a studio that, uh, like a smaller studio, not one of the, the ones that is only doing Marvel. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really all comes down to funding. Right. Yeah. There's lots of ways it can happen, just like writing. There's just so many ways that a movie can happen. And yeah. A movie like Harriet took over a decade. Ford and Ferrari took over a decade. Just assembling the team just takes a while. That's true. You adapted the book yourself or you, you hired someone yes. for it? Yes, I did. I took screenwriting classes at UCLA and hired a lot of coaches and editors and learned along the way. So I have five scripts done and all of them have placed in top competitions. And so then I was talking to producers and I found a couple who are championing them and, and just love the stories. So hopefully, you know, we'll yeah. take off. Yeah, that, that would be amazing. It would be amazing, but they say getting a movie made is a miracle. So we'll yes. see. Okay, but miracles are also amazing. Specifically for the adaptation that you did for Fly Girl, what's kind of something that you saw taking a book and putting it to film version? You know, because you know how a lot of times people, when there's a film version, like, well, it doesn't have this on the book, you know, because the book is how they first learned the story. So when the screenplay, the film is not exactly the book, some people get very upset about that. Yes. Because you're the same person, it would seem that there was, some things have to be dropped, some things might have to be tweaked a little bit, you know, without changing the real, the general idea of the story. So what's kind of something that you sort of learned that these things are great, but they, they just don't get to go into the film. Well, actually, you can tell me what to do about this because this is a unique problem, I think. I went through the process of having different producers give me notes. And then every time a, a producer or a director or actor comes on, they all see it differently and they give you notes. And a lot of the notes I loved and incorporated. So now the story has changed. I actually rewrote Fly Girl according to this new blueprint or soda spree and I'm toying about okay now what do I do with that because there's a couple of new scenes that I'm in love with now from the movie version and I want to put that into the written form so oh, huh. I think I think that might be next but I don't really has anybody ever <laughs> you know this problem before? okay my brother and his friends once it's out it's out you don't get to undo a book you don't get to redo a book you know you don't do that <laughs> And then I spoke to author Jonathan Mayberry, asked him, what do you think about, you know, an author going back and kind of reworking work? And he said, if the book came out the first time the way it was supposed to, like, why would you do that if you've got more stories to write? And I was like, well, that's kind of a good point. I can accept that. I did speak to someone about adaptations, and it's just accepting that there's going to be different versions of the story. Because it's and different then, mediums. And in the nonfiction world, we accept new editions. So can we do that in the fiction world? Can we have a new edition? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any specific rules about it. It's more about custom usually dictates sort of thing. Because, yeah, like, there are new... They do sometimes come with the unabridged version or, like, you know, never before yeah. seen. So I don't know. I'm going to play with it, so I'll let you know what happens. Right. Oh, wait, you know, we didn't say... What's your book Circle about? You sort of mentioned it, but we didn't give a description for it. Okay, it's about an extraterrestrial girl who Ooh. crash lands into our world. And a family she meets, she gets them to help her rescue her pilot from Edwards Air Force Base so they can get home with the one thing their civilization needs to survive. But once her family, this family finds out what it is that she came for, they don't know if they can help her anymore. <sighs> get home dun, 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 dun. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's also it's kind of 
Yeah, and it's also sort of like a young adult-ish audience. Yes, it's lower tween. It's read in seventh grade. It's read in sixth to eighth, but seventh grade is the sweet spot. I found when I talked to teachers that that's the great target. Okay. I made a little video when I was talking to the kids at the schools to get their feedback. So there's like a one minute video on my website, sidblue.com, where you can see how they reacted. Oh, great. We'll put the link in the episode notes so people can check it out. Yeah. When they give you feedback, or you sometimes get questions, kind of what you just said with scripted stuff, when they sometimes ask you a question, you're like, huh, why didn't I think of that? I should have put that in. Have you gone that before? Yeah, sometimes the kids in middle school especially are so sweet and still innocent, and they're so receptive, and and I just love talking to them and hearing their feedback and hearing what they're thinking about the world. And just, you know, I want to have a happy ending, and they're always saying things like there's so many negative messages about the world. It's like, oh, you know, is the world going to die? Is it going to implode? And so I just, I kind of just want to bring encouragement and tell them there is a future and they're right. valued and we care about them. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's really good. I just got to ask one more question because you had mentioned it kind of when we were talking about speaking today, that you said that sometimes or certain notes or whatever from producers you got for the screenplay was that they were trying to, what words we use? They, they wanted to make it uh, more dramatic, darker. Gritty. 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 Oh, there's a gritty. word. They want to make it grittier. Yes. yes, I got that a lot. And, um, well, you know, what's on Netflix for teens already, all gritty. So why can't I be different? Why can't, you know, the story Fly Girl has a lot of aviation in it. Isn't that sexy enough? <laughs> it's like, this is the story. It's about flying. It's not about drugs. I'm sorry. That just... It's what the story is about. So not that I'm saying anything against all the stuff that's on Netflix, but I don't want to be the same. <laughs> right. The story is already so unique. How many of these are, are there out there with girls learning to fly? Even boys learning how to fly. I haven't seen a book like that on the shelves in a... I don't even know when I saw that. So Me neither. Your whole, yeah, your whole premise is already unique. Did they say why they felt that needed to be there, or they just said, this is what it needs? They think that's what sells. So if they want to be able to sell something, then they want it to be gritty to match. Like Breaking Bad, for example. It's like you have to be that level of grittiness to get attention or euphoria. And it's like, well, that's great, but that's not what I'm doing with Fly Girl. (laughs) Yeah, well, rom-coms are not always, not even always, rom-coms are very often not gritty. And you have a lot of teen romances that they got up there now. Some of them are whatever, but a lot of them are, are not specifically like that. They're just kind of cutesy films. Those aren't gritty. Well, People are curious. for example, Kissing Booth and To All the Boys I Loved Before were huge hits on Netflix. They were some of the most watched original films ever in the history of Netflix. Wow. I mean, out-watched out from movies that had $90 million budgets, wow. action movies. They were hugely watched and watched over and over and over again. So I think that was eye-opening to them that they could have a teen romance. And I think also our romance has skewed younger now so if you want to have romance or happy ending then you have to put it into YA or teen and not so much adult anymore I think we're kind of too cynical that's <laughs> to interesting have rom-coms for adults no one believes in love anymore oh, I actually even though you're kind of just saying it as like a, as a broad idea it does kind of make sense now that you're saying that I can believe that I can see that in the way things are going now that that would make sense yeah in- Unfortunately, it makes sense. We're just yeah. like, no, no, no. We just have to show everybody beating each other up. We can't show so over the wrong. 
not like my first pick would be a rom-com anyway, but it always served its thing. There are a lot of people who did like that. They wanted something that was just fun. It wasn't intense. It wasn't whatever. They could just have a good time with it. So yeah. You also have to look at what teens are dealing with. And one of the basic needs is a young person is trying to come to grips with is, am I lovable? So they're still very interested in romance and they want to see a couple come together with love. And it's just like a basic step that they have to go through in their development. And often when you you speak to people in the industry, they're kind of not in touch with what kids are going through and instead they want to be just on their own agenda. And (laughs) if you look at what's popular, Kissing Booth and Tell the Boys I've Loved Before, very much romance and love and that's the central theme we got to get that out of the way before we move on to career or whatever you know right (laughs) am i lovable (laughs) that is one of the best ways i've heard that described thank Um, you yeah good job but i still want to see the girl flying yes why i have both i love both you know i'm very much i'm into romance i've been with my husband almost 20 years so i'm still into love and romance but i also love what we can do as women or are just you know people that it's amazing that we can fly or be engineers or stemmers or even writers like that's amazing yeah why is there not a bidding war for your properties right now there should be a bidding war for them no one's listening to me but i mean it's not good what i'm saying (laughs) well it's probably because i don't invest any money in advertising (laughs) sure actually what spoke to gretchen mcneil so I spoke to her, I think, about a year ago, and she said one of her first books that were adapted into film, it's like one of the most random stories that I think it was a producer or someone like that had walked into a, an independent bookstore somewhere. And they said, oh, what's a book that you read? Whatever. And so they handed her her book, and he ended up turning it into a film. And it was just, I don't know if she had the 70000 advertising budget then. It was just right. the right person at the right time coming together, and that's how she got it. Her other set of books, which is uh, Get Even, they actually have it now on Netflix, and I mean, she's got a bunch of books, but another one, none of her books yet officially hit the bestseller list. So for a publishing house, they might not see her as like the A-list writer. They might say, oh, she's more the middle writer, which whatever, she's she's writing, she's producing, her stuff's out there. And that also got developed. Somehow it got picked up. So yeah. she's got two things that got picked up without, she hasn't been on the bestseller list yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. And it, so sometimes it's just the craziest things of what could supposed uh, to happen is going to happen. You never know. And, you know, luck isn't the best business plan. But we're not doing it for money. We're doing it because we have some wisdom to share or we love writing or just being in that artist mode. That's why we're doing it. And then sometimes something happens. Right. <laughs> Going back for a second, but they said, oh, we got to make it grittier. So I'm guessing they wanted to add in either drinking or drugs or whatever it is. And you said no. Uh, Where they're like, that's it. It's not being done or I have no interest in it anymore. Or they were right. like, okay, we'll deal with it later. Oh, that was the reaction you got? Yes. For the example, the producer said, let's turn Fly Girl into a boy. I said, no, thank you. And then for the producers who said, can we make it grittier? I said, no, thank you. Part of it's my vision for this. I want to keep it so that it can be something that can be shared in in schools. That's my vision for it. And if it takes longer, then that's okay. Well, good for you. Okay, in general, I don't necessarily want to see a film with kids, you know, drinking, doing drugs because we don't want them doing like, you know, I don't want them doing that. But it's also, I don't know, why would I want to see a film with a girl doing drugs before she's about to get in a plane? It's not, <laughs> even if you're saying this is a bad thing, what was that one with Denzel Washington where he's drunk? Yes, people say that's a movie about flying and it's not. It's a movie about addiction. Yes. 
Yes. Who the main character happens to be a pilot. And yeah, that's scary. And thankfully, this isn't the 70s anymore where yeah. <laughs> you would, oh would hear about pilots who were high or whatever. Right. But things have changed. And it just depends on your agenda and what you see is what's going to be interesting or I think because a lot of times people are trying to think about what's cool to teens and that's why they're thinking oh we got to add this this and that to attract them as if flying is not cool enough to teens right. <laughs> yeah so. I just I would not want those those two to even be in the same sentence in their brains you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying right you know everybody could say the whole thing of of creating something is that there's a large sense of subjectivity to it so that's what the producer decides, and that's that's his decision. But personally, I'm going to say I'm glad you, you turned that down because you yeah. do have the flying thing. It's just, wow. So, like, yeah. hello. Yeah. yeah. I would agree that those two don't go together for aviation. And- right. <laughs> no, but I, I'm also glad if we want teens, they could be cool, they could be whatever. But if we want to give them good stuff, we should show them good stuff. So, you know, there's also the sort of the, uh, the debate, or I, guess, I don't know if it's an argument. Some people say, okay, you know, I write to the teen. And some people say, I'm kind of trying to set a standard for the teens. Not in a preachy way, but this is something that we could reach versus just like, let me just talk to you according to what you see around you, right? So they might try to take something up a notch a little bit or clean it up to a certain extent because I want to show you a a different version, not just the version that you're living in. I want to show you another version. Right. And it's kind of chicken and the egg because if everything you're publishing is all the same, then how do you know whether or not something different would work? (laughs) Yeah, it's true too. There is a safety net, you know, involved in, we know this will work, so we'll keep putting it out of the market versus we don't know what this will be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. So this is, everyone kind of has their own, their own path. This works for one person. This doesn't work for someone. And we can only hope that this will work for you. So. Thank you. Yeah. We want good stuff out there. So. We'll wrap up with that, with, with all the well wishes. But also, before we do wrap up, we always have the fill-in-the-blank question. I really like it when, you know, choosing one, writers, editors, editors, publishers, books, covers, stories, whatever. I really like it when they do X. I really don't like it when whichever one does X. How would you fill in the blank for that? I really love it when editors and agents give you feedback because how else are you supposed to know what they're thinking? Oh, and yes. you're just in the you're in the dark if they don't give you feedback. And I would say I really don't like it when self-published writers don't hire a professional editor. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I want to yes. read the books, but if there's three spelling mistakes in the first chapter, then I'm out. Yes. <laughs> That is so true. And it's also part of, is a self-published author, still an author sort of thing. It is true that if the quality is not going to be amazing, people are, they're not going to give it a chance. Again, if we're investing our, our time and money to read it, why can't the writer invest their time and money into making it ultimately readable? Yeah, good point. Very, very good. So, well, Sid, it was, it was really great, really interesting speaking with you. I'm glad I got to talk. Thank you so much. I, I'm so glad to be a part of this. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author Sid Blue. To find out more about Sid and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast or check us out at eltenemount.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.